Hi, welcome to the Penis Project podcast. This is the place to come to find out everything you've always wanted to know about men's health but were too embarrassed to ask. Join physiotherapist Dr. Joe Milios and sexologist nurse practitioner Melissa Hadley Barrett as they talk to real men and the experts about men's private parts. Have a burning question you really want to know the answer to? Please subscribe to our website at thepenisproject.org and just ask us. The greater the strength, the more time I've got for you. There's too much talking, texting, tweeting, posting. Too much noise altogether. In silence is strength and peace and space. Imagine silence forever. The Penis Project podcast is proudly supported and sponsored by PROST, Exercise for Prostate Cancer, and the RS Health Penile Rehabilitation Program. PROST is a not-for-profit charity set up by myself in 2012 that aims to help men exercise during their experience with prostate cancer. If you want to know anything more about PROST, including our online service and USB product now available, please just go to prost.com.au. The Penile Rehabilitation Program was created by Melissa at Restorative Sexual Health. This is an online program to assist turning software into hardware without leaving your home. This program was designed for people who live in areas where access to health professionals in this area is not available, or for those who are just too busy to attend consults, or even for those who just feel more comfortable learning at home with online learning and consultations online. For more information about this program, please go to www.rshealth.com.au. Prost means cheers to your health, so prost to you. November 11th. 11 a.m. 60 seconds kids watch on the wall in the pub in the tab in the cars we remember and wonder what should we feel so welcome to the penis project podcast now today we're i'm very excited we're talking to a man called craig eld and i'm sure i've said that wrong but he is a lovely scottish gentleman who has lots of experience in the area of wellness, but we're also going to hear about his real life story of having um, cancer as a young man, as a teenager, and then how that's led him to what he's currently doing today, helping other men and women, particularly couples who are involved in a FIFO relationship. Um, So we're going to cover a whole lot of topics today, and we're really excited to have you here. So I heard you speak yesterday at Joe's Yomo event and was so impressed. I asked you and you were great enough to come in today. So thanks, Craig. So you're from the Clear Mind Studio. That's right. Yeah. Great name. It was, uh, it took a long time to get a good name. It's amazing when you, uh, when you start writing it all down, but I think it encompasses everything that we're all about. It's a great name. So first of all, tell us your real life story. So tell us what your experiences is when you were a teenager. So... I had a pretty pretty good upbringing. Um, was very sporty, very active. I was swimming in Scotland national teams, um, and you know with all that training and all that um, all that expectation, um, really does kind of set you up in a certain way for your teenage years, mentally, physically. But I was in for a kind of rude shock when I was sixteen, when I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, which, if any of your listeners are not familiar, it's a type of blood cancer. Mm-hmm. Quite relatively common for teenagers to get Hodgkin's lymphoma compared to other cancers. Um, and it's fairly fairly treatable. Um, I was borderline stage four, so I was stage three. At 16. At 16. Mm. And that 
for a 16-year-old to sort of hear those words where you just can't really comprehend, you don't really know. Most people at that age have never really had much experience with people that are sick no. or had conversations about it. And certainly back in 2003, th- there wasn't much information on cancer or support or anything like that. So tell us what, because you were told the story yesterday about how you had these sort of weird symptoms, but you didn't really go and get any help, did you? Because you just thought there was, you were kind of that's, imagining. That's right. There was, um, there was probably a two-year pathway to diagnosis. And like I said in the talk yesterday, an important message would be, you know, to be more be more aware of the things that are happening to you. And for myself, there was a few markers. I was starting to lose weight, sort of gradually. And Which is unusual at that age. It's unusual. Mm. Um, what made it possible was that I was training six days a week, weight training twice a week. I was in the pool six days. And with that sort of excesses of training, um, you're constantly trying to keep the calories up yeah and so initially it was just put down to sort of an imbalance of a number of calories due to the due to the training but there was um i was also developing this dry hacking cough and that actually developed for around six months where it wasn't really going anywhere and i wasn't really doing anything about it either it was one of those things that when you're a, when you're a kid, when you get sick, it just goes away. Yeah, and yeah. also you're in Scotland, so it's freezing cold. It's, and <laughs> it's, it's true. A it's summer day is like sixteen degrees, is it? If you know, <laughs> once it hits sixteen, seventeen degrees, you everyone's got their shirt off. Sunbaking. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised everyone doesn't have constantly have pneumonia in that temperature. <laughs> but yeah. So, but what your parents were they sort of intervening with you or? So my parents were sort of they. I think my parents were in that kind of. We think there might be something there, but we are also scared to mm. do anything about okay. it. Yep. And I think, you know, when growing up in Scotland, that's a lot of the case where you don't really talk about your problems. And if you have a problem, you keep it to yourself. Wow. Mm. And this is the kind of thing that our parents were were taught from a young age. Um, and the lessons that they've learned about keeping it to yourself have sort of translated into the medical side too, unfortunately, not just that mental side. Okay. So, so it's a real cultural thing as well. This reminds me of Jimmy Barnes' stories, just, you know, reading his books. Another mm. another full topic. But yeah. Mm. I mean, I think it's um, a common Australian thing too, for, particularly for men, which is, oh, I'll just pretend it's not happening. I don't think it's either country. I think it's global. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, sorry. So go on. So then what happened? So this was happening. So I actually went to the doctor about the bit of tiredness I was getting pretty fatigued and the doctor he checked my glands and he thought you've got glandular fever Mm -hmm. which was a fairly like it's a fair assessment it is for a 16 year old boy kissing lots of people yeah (laughs) (laughs) for what was happening anyway especially a sport jock and um, (laughs) or just sharing drink water bottles Mm -hmm. or whatever Mm. and so the doctor says look just take it easy like so you know stop training and a couple of mums went by wasn't really improved. Did you have a host of blood tests? So didn't have any blood tests. So this is this is the key thing here. The there's a thing in the UK with the NHS, things are a little bit different here, especially from my experience of coming to Australia, in terms of the GP will make an assessment but they won't 
tend to go the extra bit to get the bloods taken. Mm-hmm. Um, so the bloods, bloods weren't, were not done at that stage. So a few months went by, nothing was improving. I started to develop psoriasis on my elbows and on my knees and went to the doctor about that. Doctors had to file. They're like, oh, this is separate to whatever else is going on because it's psoriasis and there's no link that we're aware of mm-hmm. with any other conditions. Or So got some topical cream for the psoriasis. and But then a few months later, so this would have been about June 2003, I woke up one morning and I thought I'd broken my ribs and I'd been playing football the night before. So so you were really taking your GP's advice and taking it easy, I can see. So <laughs> it's hard to stay still when you're a teenager, yeah, especially is. when you've got that social side and there's mm. that temptation you want to stay social. Yeah. And funnily enough, that's what actually kept me sane and kept me, I think actually helped me through my cancer journey was that sense of normality and trying to keep that norm- normality mm-hmm. in in that team environment with mates. Yeah, mm. and being just one of the one of the team, one of the one of your friends, um, not segregating yourself. Um, I can talk about what I've seen in that space later on, but sure. um, with waking up and having that pain, you know, it's not uncommon to get a knock when you're playing football. So it was sort of like. This might be from the football. Is yep. this football as in soccer football, this round is soccer ball football? football yeah. yeah, not Aussie rules football. No. Because you're in Scotland. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> just as physical when, when yeah. you're getting knocked around yeah. anyway, yeah. Um, for reference. And uh, so I went to school um, and then I called my mum, you know, did what every boy does when they're not, not doing that great. They call their mum. And um, I got her to book a, a doctor's appointment. And I was due to work that night because I was working as a lifeguard as well, so I called in sick for that. But when I went into the doctors, the doctor is looking at my file and he's looking at all these things in one, it's one now. And he just went, you know, get down to the hospital straight away. Blood test, blood test, blood test. And scan straight mm. away. And I remember, you know, being in, in the car on the drive to the hospital and my mum's in the driving us down and she knew something wasn't yeah. right and you know the si- the silence in the car was just Definitely. palpable it was oh, just she's probably kicking herself as well i wish i did something about this sooner and you know as we do as mothers but but you know i have to say glandular fever can't be diagnosed without a blood test yeah so you know it's mm. there was many steps along the way there that was maybe got missed mm. Mm. yeah so i get down to the hospital me get the scan and you know, what comes out from the scan is I've got a 10 centimetre tumour behind my lungs. Oh, just compressing on your lungs and, yeah, mm-hmm. not able to breathe and your ribs pain. I've got um, a tumour the size of a pea each side of my neck. I've got the tumour the size of a tennis ball underneath my left arm. Now, as a 16-year-old, in hindsight, looking back now, that was sticking out. Oh, like you could actually it, say it, it. It was, because it was so gradual, mm. it didn't... F- you wouldn't notice it. And because I didn't know that the left and the right were supposed to be the same. No. um, You could actually feel a massive lump there. You know, now if anyone wants to check, you can push, you should be able to push right into your armpit. Mm. But I couldn't do that. Mm. So I just thought as a 16-year-old, I just developed some muscle that... (laughs) And was that (laughs) that painful to touch, that lump? It wasn't actually, no. No, that's an interesting Um, thing about cancer. It often isn't painful. yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, but what was 
causing the pain in my ribs was the 50 cent piece size tumour in my spleen. So you were riddled with it. Eventually Mm. that got to a point where it was pressing against my ribs and causing that pain. And that was the, you know, pain is something that we often react to. And that's normally when we get something, Mm. we seek help. It's not when we see the subtle changes that don't feel pain. Um, Sometimes you don't make the connection that there's some serious issues. But luckily, you know, we got down and we got started that treatment straight away. Mm, Great. And so what was the treatment? What did you do? So I had a bit of an uh, an unusual situation where I had elliptical cells of Hodgkin's and Mm non-Hodgkin's, which meant non-Hodgkin's and Hodgkin's, there's two separate protocols. So initially they started me on a protocol for um, Hodgkin's lymphoma, the non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is uh, much more extreme. Um, And I did not react to that very well oh, it okay. was not a great start to that that journey because you got sick or uh, I, got, I got hospitalized um dehydration right. um from from being sick right. yeah okay. for, first day it right. was a great great introduction so was it chemotherapy chemotherapy yeah. so i did um i think seven or eight months of chemotherapy initially mm-hmm. so i would um go to school i would go to school monday tuesday i'd go to the hospital on the wednesday get chemo all day and then I'd normally be back at school Thursday, Friday. Wow. And then I'd be working as a lifeguard as well. You just kept yeah. kept working, yeah. living life. Yeah, learning to drive, going mm. out with friends. Um, did you lose your hair? Yeah, completely. How so, did that feel? I've got a 16-year-old son. So that was um, that was hard mm. as, as a 16-year-old. Yeah, very. You know, you, you kind of feel like you've been cut down in your prime a little bit mm. in terms of, you know, finding yourself in the world and... Um, trying to figure out who you are as a person. I mean, that's difficult enough. And how did your friends react when you told them did that they you buy had you lots cancer? Of caps? <laughs> so, <laughs> so we, you know, the best thing I always found was we, we always made a joke of it, mm. you yeah. know, and we always, they always stuck with me and they always stuck by me. Wonderful. And, um, you know, surrounding yourself with a good group of people who will help protect you uh, and treat you like a normal, like nothing's happened. Mm-hmm. And, like, I, I would... You know, make jokes about it all the time. Did you have a nickname for yourself? I didn't. I didn't have a nickname, but um, I don't know if if you guys will get this reference. But like, <laughs> um, I don't know if you know the Crystal Maze. Like, it was like a UK game show. No, no. And, educate um, us. <laughs> so the host was a like a he was he created the Rocky Horror Show. Okay, ah, um, I love that. And so it's the ball guy, and he's like flamboyant and everything. And Halloween, I used to dress up as him, and oh, cool. like, so we'd always make kind of jokes and. So how long were you like und- having the chemotherapy and yeah? So there was about eight months of that initial chemo. Okay. And so just before I graduated high school, um, I went into remission. Mm-hmm. So I had a couple of months at the end of high school where things went relatively back to normal. Mm-hmm. Hair, hair grew back in. Yeah. And that was a great time. That was just this amazing feeling, just feeling like you were back on track. Relief as well. Yeah. yeah. But unfortunately, you know, I did end up going... Um, I did them going back quite a few steps. We uh, did a PET scan, found the cancer was a lot deeper in my chest mm. than they initially mm. thought, right. which meant much more intensive chemotherapy mm-hmm. and a radiotherapy and a stem cell transplant. Gosh. Wow. So I had a couple of months where um, I was, you know, everything was fine in the start of the summer. Yeah. 
but I deferred going to university for a year. I had to do another year of uh, chemo. Mm -hmm. So I spent that year just working and going through that. Sorry, one question. So being diagnosed as a 16-year-old um, and then having to have chemotherapy, fertility, long-term fertility must have been an issue. So how did that get dealt with? So I, I actually, I was thinking when I was driving down this morning that I should really send an email to my oncologist because the decision to get sperm stored before starting treatment um, was a fantastic decision. Mm -hmm. And not all oncologists that I'm aware of make that decision. I'm taking a big, big deep breath here because that would have been so confronting as a 16-year-old. Yeah, you don't really you don't really understand the significance of it until you start trying to plan for a family later in life. Yeah, that's right. Because what's in the forefront of your mind is getting well. Yeah, just getting your head around having to do that. You know, for yourself. Like, yeah. I don't know. Did they set you up with some magazines, or they just say, "Here's a cup"? Or so it's, <laughs> so we. You know, you go up, you drive up with your mum because you yeah. can't drive at this <laughs> stage. I'm this. Yeah. Um, which you know, it's a. I've always had a good relationship with my mum, so we can joke about this kind of stuff, yeah. you know, and we still talk about it. Yeah, so um, your mum's in the waiting room while you're in there giving them a sample. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It it's just, just conjures up all sorts of weird thoughts. Must and, have been quite difficult. And the funny thing as well is, that, you know, you come out with that sample. Um, <laughs> Hi, mum. <laughs> hey, mum. Here's and your grandkids. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, oh. and, the, and the, the nurse comes and she's like, oh, that looks like a good sample. <laughs> And it's like, okay, right, we'll, yeah, we'll, see you, we'll see you guys later. Because usually they're seeing old men and they've got a 16-year-old yeah. in there. with it. Yeah. So mm. they, they freeze that and, you know, we had seven vials, which, you know, until you actually start exploring your fertility options later in life, you don't know the significance of that. Mm. But as a 16-year-old, you think, okay, it, it's possible. Yeah, which yeah. is so reassuring, yeah. isn't it? I must think have been very mature, 16-year-old, like. I think I, 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 I think I grew up very quickly in about two two weeks. Yeah. I, I it became very apparent that like yeah. my take on life had changed yeah. dramatically, which can sometimes be a gift in actual fact. And I think it's definitely served me well for everything I've done in life. Mm. After that, in terms of grabbing opportunities, in terms of how you conduct yourself in society, um, and how you treat people. You know, and the kind of things that the conversations that you have when you see people struggling and you know that you've you might have some information that might be able to help them. Mm -hmm. So let's parachute to the Clear Mind Studio. Tell us oh, all about that. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, sorry. I think we, there's a little bit more of this okay. story. Sorry. <laughs> right. sorry. Um, so, yeah. so I went through. So we, you know, around about my 18th birthday, so I've done a couple of months of being in the hospital um, doing chemotherapy. And then had that stem cell transplant, which I don't know if um, listeners know too much about stem cell transplants, but that was critically what saved saved my life. Mm. Um, giving you enough chemo that would basically kill you in about two days. Mm. Yeah. And then giving you your own stem cells back to help recharge you. Um, that was a, a pretty profound experience. Where did they harvest your stem cells from? So they hook you up to like they get it from your blood so they it's they hook you up to like what looks like a dialysis machine mm -hmm. and then they harvest those stem cells so they have about three bags of stem cells okay um and then they give you a, then you give you seven days of chemo um right. which i call the seven days of hell <laughs> um because each one was unbelievably more brutal than the next yeah 
and you're in isolation for four weeks at least. Mm. So you can't see any other people because they can they can come in, but a very very strict protocol and only for a very short time. And that's to restrict you from getting infection. Correct. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And so after you you finally got through all the treatment, and then you went to university. Yeah. Yep. And what did you study? So I studied geography, so I did a geography undergrad and mm-hmm. then I did a master's in geospatial mapping sciences. Now, the, the crazy thing is the doctors were of the opinion that it would not be kind of pos- potentially possible for me to hold my concentration and to be able to function at that kind of level um, mm-hmm. with all the effects of the chemotherapy. So for me, that was just a way to prove <laughs> that it could be done. And you did. And so you got through it and then that took you to your original career, yeah. which was offshore, wasn't it? In Correct, um, yeah. oil and gas, that's I'm right. assuming, because so you're Scottish. And it seems like every Scottish man I've ever met that's moved to Australia was in oil and gas yep. at some and stage. And my, my father's in oil and gas. Yeah. So yeah. It, was a, it was a pathway that I'd always wanted to explore. Yeah. So I was working as a, as a dimension, what's called dimensional control surveyor. Mm-hmm. mapping um, dimensions, steel and pipe work. So it takes you offshore. I was lucky enough to work in Italy and Azerbaijan before coming to Australia. When I moved to Australia in 2012 to work on a big project here mm-hmm. and, yeah, never left. But I've had the opportunity to work sort of all around Southeast Asia and Russia and all, all over the place. It's been a really amazing career. But um, At any time in that, did the cancer come back or after that initial lot of treatment that you had before university it stayed away so i was on a short leash after finishing um all my treatment mm-hmm. i was coming in for bloods um, blood transfusions um weekly checks which then turned to monthly which mm-hmm. then t- changed to yearly mm-hmm. and when i was in a, when i came to australia every time i went back to the uk i'd go in for a for a check until the doctor says you know you don't need to come back uh. here so yeah, that must have been amazing. That day. was after about 10 years. So yeah. in, in all of that time, did – oh, actually, when did you meet your, your now wife? So I actually met my wife in Spain. Okay. So it was on a – we were on holiday. Mm-hmm. And the, I was here. She was in the UK and um, had some time. She's I, English, your wife? She's Scottish. Oh, yeah. Scottish as well, yeah. Um, so I had some time back in Scotland. I was back for a wedding mm-hmm. and um, – we became quite close when we when we met at that time. Yeah. And a few sort of like short holidays, depending where I was working, there's a few checkpoints along the way which nice. kept us in contact. <laughs> Best kind of relationship, um, holiday ones, a continuous <laughs> holiday romance. Yeah. So we, she came and spent some time with me in Malaysia and then she came out to uh, Australia for a holiday. And then because she has a quite a sought after qualification, um, she managed to get a visa to come out and... Uh, to work in Australia. So out of interest, when you were having relationships, did this previous cancer diagnosis and the fact that, you know, you were now infertile apart from the saved sperm, yeah. did that like bother you? Like did that restrict you, do you feel like, and change the way you interacted with people? I think in, I think the, having the conversation early was important. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was, you know, I think a lot of people have to th- remember that unless you've been through IVF, um, it's very difficult to know the success rates yes, and how difficult it is. Mm-hmm. So you get into a relationship and you say, if we ever want to have kids, this is the way, unfortunately, we have to do it. Yeah. And a lot of partners are 
I'm more than happy to say, yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. Uh, like it actually sounds easier. Than it is. <laughs> than okay. it, than it, than it mm. is. But from, you know, from our reality now, it's it's not as easy as, as a lot of people think it is. Mm. So because I didn't have the experience to say otherwise, um, it, when there was never really a, an issue for okay. a lot of relationships. Interesting. That's so lovely to hear. Yeah, it is. And I think, you know, one of the things about doing the Yomo yesterday was to try and be a little bit more in tune with our bodies and to be a little bit more open with everything. And I think you just nailed it by saying that you just talked about it early because that way, you know, women, your partners, girlfriends had the opportunity yeah. to, you know, be informed from the beginning. And then that way um, you wouldn't have that discomfort, I guess, or that sense of responsibility later on and that, that potential guilt, I guess. I always think that, you know, the hard conversation, easy life, easy conversation, hard life. Ah, good. You Can know. you say that again? So hard conversation, easy life, easy conversation, hard life. Gold. I think, yeah, I you think, said that yesterday. I loved yeah, that. It was I've, really good. I've, for the last couple of years, I've, I've always remembered that one. Because even if you have a hard conversation and it doesn't go the way to plan, you that conversation would need to have been done anyway. Absolutely. And... If you're prolonging something because you can't have the hard conversation, then it's not fair for you or the other person to. Mm. So this, you've changed your career now and that sounds like it's come a lot by your original diagnosis of cancer and then your FIFO working. Yeah. Um, and so talk to us about, about that. Yeah, so probably around about 2000 and 2015, you know, when I met my wife and she moved to Australia, when she first moved over, she was on her own a lot. Like we had a small group of friends and um, the nature of the work that I did, I was away all the time. Mm. So when my wife moved over, she did feel really isolated. And so we started to have conversations about me being home a little bit more and exploring what that might look like. And as a result of like a lot of the stress, um, there was a lot of stress with the job. There was a lot of fertility stress as well, which came down the line. And I was starting to use more um, holistic methods to to deal with all that. So my wife and I were using flotation therapy um, and we were using yoga and we started using infrared saunas to, to really deal with a lot of those issues. And for me, being jet lagged all the time and constantly different time zones or... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, changing shift patterns and things. The f- flotation therapy was the way that I reduced a lot of that stress and wow. reduced a lot of the time it took me for me to recover. So explain to us, because a lot of our listeners won't even know, have ever heard of flotation therapy, I don't think. So tell us about that. So flotation therapy, it's been around since the 1950s and most of the research is focused around depression, anxiety and being in the environment which it is, it's a sensory reduced environment. Mm-hmm. So you lie in 10 inches of salt water. There's about 600 kilos of salt water wow. in this in the pods. And that's what allows you to float effortlessly on top of the water. So, so it's like being in the Red Sea. Uh, in the Dead Sea. Dead yep. Sea. Whoops. In the Dead Sea. <laughs> <laughs> Red Dead. <laughs> All the same. <laughs> so not only are you you're floating on the surface of the water, so you, your muscles don't have to be, don't have to support don't have to move around to support yourself it's also uh the the temperature of the water is set to the same temperature as your skin so yeah. 35 degrees yeah and the air temperature is set to the same temperature as your skin 
So all of a sudden, you don't feel hot, you don't feel cold, you literally don't feel anything at all. (laughs) And there's no sound, there's no light. Mm. And what happens is when you reduce a lot of that sensory stimulus, it gives your brain an opportunity to think clearly. It gives your brain an opportunity to actually unwind and relax. Like reboot it. Correct, yeah. So I often think it's like a, for any computer nerds out there, it's like a defrag for your brain. (laughs) (laughs) And um, what you do in that moment is your thoughts become much clearer. And you find that when you come out of this, not only are you physically relaxed, but mentally it feels like you've been on holiday for for a week, even though you've been in there for an hour. So you started doing that originally for your own therapy? Yeah. So for any FIFO workers... Normally, when you come back from a job, there's a period between about 24 to 72 hours where you're neither here nor there physically, Mm -hmm. mentally. You're not the person that you want to be. You're changing your routine substantially. You're changing your sleep patterns, Mm -hmm. expectations from your family um, to do all these things when you sometimes just want to rest. And that's where I find that a lot of the arguments begin. Is when is that initial few days? In my previous life, I was the wife of a FIFO worker and my husband used to go away five weeks at a time. And the big struggle that I had with that, it would be he'd be home and when he was home, he had nothing to do because he wasn't going to work. But I still had a full-time job and the kids still had to go to school and we had to do all of that. And then we would, he would come home and he would want attention, raised quite fairly but we we're all still living our life and then that that always created friction and then he'd go away and then we'd miss him and then he'd come back it's just such a difficult life i think for a the roller kids. coaster really yeah yeah the kids the partner everybody it's just a really hard life yeah and so initially before i developed tools to combat what you've just said um mm. the flotation was let's get my old self back as quickly as possible. Let's be present. So that one hour gave you that kind of reboot. Did your wife do the flotation? Yeah. Yeah. So she was floating as well. So it was something you did together. Yeah. So we'd go to like a a float tank centre and we'd we'd go together. And initially she didn't like it. This was the crazy thing. Mm. So it was me who was just sold after the first session. And she came back with me the second time and third time. And she had like a profound like experience. It's a little bit like um, yin yoga or shavasana when you start doing that. Like if your mind's busy and you're someone is on the move, you hate it. You're lying there and you're doing nothing for five minutes in each pose in yin yoga. And you, you want to move and you want to wrench out of set. It's really hard discipline. So do you think she was someone like that? that Without, so w- when people come to flotation therapy initially, they have this preconception that you have to go in there and think about nothing at all. They go in there and think, this is the place that I need to relax in and forget about all my worries. But I actually use that as a place to think. Mm. I don't go in there to relax anymore. Okay. So if you're a visual person, the you can go in there and I actually visualize what I want to do and where my where things are going. And so for instance, if I'm doing a lived experience talk, mm-hmm. I only practice them in the float tanks or in the mm-hmm. saunas. Okay. So I go in there and visualize myself on the stage and I visualize myself talking it and that's all I do. Right. And because those, because you've got no sensory stimulus, you can see it really clearly mm. and um, then it feels real. It's and a type of meditation really, isn't it? 100%. Yeah. So for those that struggle to meditate, 
flotation therapy has been shown to That's be... That's me. I'm not, not very good at meditating. Me I, I, I meditate through my breath when I jog or when I do yoga. Mm-hmm. It's just that constantly in, out, in, out. But to sit there and just meditate with cross legs, it's just never been yeah. me. Mm. So there is also therapeutic benefit for what's in the water too in the float tank, isn't there? There is. So it's um, magnesium sulfate. Yeah. So there's a lot of research. There's a lot of different research on magnesium absorption. Much better through the skin than any other way. Yeah. Mm. So the biggest organ in the body, anyway. Mm-hmm. The uh, it's actually pretty difficult to go through the skin itself because of the magnesium molecules. Mm-hmm. So two schools of thought: one school of thought being through the hair follicles, okay, ah. and the second school of thought being the soft tissue in your anus. Really? So ah, we just had a chat about that in our last podcast. It's right. very vascular mm. so and to the Valium suppositories, <laughs> relaxation effect. Yeah. But we don't have to do that. We can go to a float tank. Yeah. So <laughs> one at one hour in the float tank um, with 600 kilos of Epsom salt wow. is, um, is one of the pathways that research is, is kind of showing that. That's that's fascinating. So does, just, just to answer me this, now we've talked about anus absorption. Please tell me the water gets changed every time. So... It doesn't get changed every time. Oh. So we are regulated by the health department and the water department. Yeah. So it goes through a really strict um, disinfectant process ah. between each person. Great. So it's just like a um, swimming pool. It's like a swimming pool, but more rigorous. Ah, excellent. Okay. Just that makes me feel much better now we talked <laughs> about <laughs> anal absorption. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got that, that, that flowing, but a lot of people have got back pain. Or if they've got muscular pain. Pelvic pain, pelvic floor tightness. I'm sold. I'm coming next week. Just mm. not having the effects of gravity on you. Yeah. Is that's, my whole, that's my whole rationale behind my PhD in men with prostate cancer. They need strengthening of their pelvic floor to tone their muscles sufficiently to control urinary incontinence and erectile dysfunction and bowel dysfunction to have that. But when it comes to pain and muscle tightness and cramping, then... Relaxation and being on their back, anti-gravity positions, but adding magnesium and salt is... I'm sending all my patients to you. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting thing for you then, Joe, is um, I talked a little about this ye- yesterday about being in tune with your body. Mm. Now, one of the best ways you can do that is to remove all the sensory stimulus around you and that, that means that your brain starts looking inward for stimulus mm-hmm. and it starts looking for places where, okay, what can we focus on? So not long after taking away that sensory stimulus, you start hearing your heartbeat Mm -hmm. and you start feeling the heartbeat through your body and the blood flow through your body. But the interesting thing is that if you have any niggles or pains, things that you might not notice because you're so busy, you know, Mm. running day-to-day, you'll notice them in there. So there's an interesting group of people, marathon runners, like to use flotation tanks because what happens is They go in for the float tanks before races and they're listening to their hamstrings and their glutes Mm. and their body and they're trying to figure out where they're tight. Yeah. And once they establish where they're tight, they'll go and do extra stretching and working out. Ah. So they can prevent injury by like like knowing what's going on in their body. Their brain isn't registering at that moment that this is an issue. But Mm. when you don't have that sensory stimulus, there's more energy to focus on those things. Can I just ask you about yoga? Because this is what this is how I like to teach yoga and why I teach it to guys as well, just so they have the opportunity to stop and check in with themselves. You mentioned earlier that you did do yoga. Do you mind just sharing us what how much that helped you or what, what effect you had that just just yeah, as another therapy for yourself? So I've always had really tight hamstrings mm-hmm. and even when I was swimming competitively my coach used to just 
grill on me for how tight my hamstrings were. Um, and then I was noticed professionally when I was doing a lot of work, my hamstrings were getting really tight. Yeah. It's the nature of the work. And so I started doing yoga to really help with that flexibility. You know, the hip flexes, the, the glutes, the hamstrings. Um, interestingly enough, this is the really crazy thing I found with yoga was that I used to have really tight skin on the top of my head. Mm. Like really super tight skin. So it was to the point where like you couldn't take a brush over my head or you couldn't like really? um, I couldn't have like a head That's massage or anything. It was lucky just really you don't painful. have too much hair then. Exactly. <laughs> so through like your um, like doing fascial release, like in the toes and in the shins. Yep. Helped release massage yeah, fascial releases. Helped yep. release the the um the pain in the top of my head. And cool. for and for me, we had a, a yoga instructor who was very science based and so she was going through the science behind what we were doing mm. and what because for my wife and I being from a kind of science yes, academic yeah. background, that's where we really we really started to do yoga and understand it a lot more. Mm-hmm. And now we do yoga at our studio, more of the restorative yoga. Wonderful. I was going to ask that because it's just a perfect marriage with what you do. But I'd just like to ask, were there ever any yoga on any of the FIFO sites you've ever worked at? So there is, there has been yoga. Great. Um, so because I'd spent most of my time working offshore, it was very, very limited in terms of resources mm. for that there. They would do classes up on the heli deck. Yeah. Um, I didn't see too much yoga at that time, but... When I worked on mine sites, they w- there was yoga. They're starting to do introduce Brilliant. a lot more Great. yoga now. So, Craig, this has brought you now as well to you do a lot of coaching, don't you, for particularly FIFO men, like to help them reintegrate to life and make yeah. it smoother. So tell, tell us about that because that's an amazing area. I mean, I see a lot of FIFO workers, men and women, who struggle have relationship struggles i mean and i suppose i see them to talk about sexual issues but usually it's not the sex that's the problem it's the relationship that's the problem that leads to the sexual issue um so yeah i think dealing i most of the time when couples come to see me about this sort of issue we end up talking about their lifestyle rather than their sexual problems because you fix that and you fix the sex so tell us about what you do with that because i think that's fantastic i didn't that someone's actually specializing in that area it's amazing so because of um, because of my cancer initially, I've always had this kind of motto where I've always felt it's a responsibility for someone who goes through a see like an experience to then share that experience with others. Mm-hmm. So I've kind of taken it as like a, my own personal mission to if there are other people who are going through something similar, and I've got some information that might help. You them, can ease their burden. You can ease their burden. Mm. Now. I did five four for, you know, coming up for twelve years now, and I've learned a lot along the way. I've I've learned a lot about what works. Um, I've had my eyes open on a lot of things, mm. and I've developed a lot of tools and strategies to help five four workers deal with that. And when we opened our studio, it became apparent that we wanted to be more than the sum of our services. So while we use flotation therapy and infrared saunas to deal with the stress, physical and mental, we wouldn't be able to offer any advice on the direction that people were heading. So they'd Mm. come in and they'd unload all this stuff and we couldn't really 
um, offer them too much more mm. than saying, you know, I can tell you about the floats and infrared saunas. Yeah. So my wife and I both um, are certified life coaches. Mm -hmm. So we both train to be life coaches and we offer in life coaching programs. So you recognise that as a gap that you needed to fill that no one really else was in this particular sector of uh, people. Yeah. So, you know, we both come from very stressful jobs. Mm -hmm. Now, we offer something quite unique. We offer our coaching services as well as like unlimited use in the studio. Mm. Because one thing that I've always found is... The flotation tank for me has given me about 20 years of professional development just mm. in the space of like six, seven years because, and I always thought, I wonder what it would be like doing a coaching session and then going for a flow. I was just thinking exactly that, like, because you would really have the opportunity. Normally you go, I've, I have a coach, you go off to your coach and then you race off to your busy life and you yeah. haven't sort of assimilated that into your head, have you? So if you went into a float tank after that, it'd be amazing because you'd get to actually actually think about think what about it yeah and you'll find that you'll one of the great things about that is we often when, when we have an issue when we're trying to work something out you know we could spend all day eight hours thinking on this because mm. we're constantly going in and out with that mm. thought but one hour in that float tank can really condense that time that you're able to solve that issue mm. just by taking a step away and like we take a step away and we do yoga mm. for a very similar purpose and yep. um, whether we we realize it or not mm. um so we we decided that because of my my experience with fifo and the need for the to be more coaches and lived experienced speakers in that space it made a lot of sense for me to to start coaching That's fantastic yeah. so how long has your clear mind studio been going so we've been open two and a half years now yeah. including a little short bit with covid in the middle there yeah but um, so now the studio is just, you know, going gangbusters at the moment. And then that mm -hmm. gives me and my wife more time to coach more. And mm -hmm. So you have other people working for you now? Yeah, so we've we developed all our systems um, at the start of the year. Everything runs pretty smoothly. We've got about nine yoga instructors. We've got uh, three massage therapists at the moment. And then we've got staff like myself who are running the studio. Great. In between all that, yeah. So we will definitely put the link to your website in our um, in our show notes, so patients or people who are listening can find you. But where are you actually? So we're in Inglewood, um, on Beaufort Street. Okay. And tell us, is there anything else that we have? Because we're kind of getting to time. But is there anything else? And we might have to get you back another day. But is there anything else that we haven't covered today that you think is really important? Um. So. I guess with um, with a lot of stresses that couples are un under at the moment, you know, this is it's a great opportunity now to spend some quality time together, um, and have those conversations mm. like we talked about yesterday, having those difficult conversations. Yeah. So, like we do some things at the studio that really just allow you to spend some quality time together, and you find that when you when you do spend that quality time together, those conversations don't feel as difficult. Mm. Um, once you're in a relaxed kind of space and environment and sometimes those conversations can become fun yeah um, so we do a couple's getaway at the studio which is like four hours of of just I'm looking at that going <laughs> mm, Christmas coming up mm, and a wedding anniversary coming up <laughs> it's um, it's amazing the, the transformation you see in people when they uh, when they come in and then when they leave 
But yeah, I actually got a lot of FIFO people doing the escape for the day, which is like a one day, four hour. Yeah. And they'll dedicate that one that one day to really maximize their R and R and just get you know one of the things I find with coaching is that um if you're a FIFO worker, there's if you only have a week off, you've yeah. got a couple first couple of days you're neither here nor there. Last couple of days, you're already thinking about going back to work. Yeah, and you're tired when you first get back. And yep. yeah. And so if there was a way, which there is at our studio, to to maximise your R&R by just having um, taken two or three hours out of your day, feeling refreshed, you would have so much more time to do your passions and yeah. everything else you want to do. And connect with your family because yeah. you get a bit of your own energy back. Yeah. Yeah. So just reading who the couples get away, it's a 60-minute massage each, a 60-minute float each, a 45-minute sauna together with the tea and chocolate in the lounge. That sounds quite decadent. It is. And um, one of the things you'll find about our studio is even though it's an absolutely beautiful space and it feels like you're in a spa, we have the feel of a community, the community centre. Yeah. You know, mm. so... The way that we have our lounges, you'll meet people who nice. are going through very yeah. similar situations, mm. tend to be sparking up conversations. All of our staff are on the same level as you. Mm. Um, so you're not on that conveyor belt of uh, going between all your different services. Mm -hmm. And that's the key that we wanted to bring in. We wanted to have a place that where you were well looked after, but you felt like you were on a journey. Like actually on mm. your wellness journey. Yeah. Well, I can't thank you enough for coming in today, Craig. It was very fortuitous meeting you yesterday and it's just been great. And what about you, Joe? You got anything else I to I say? I just really love the fact that you've taken your own personal experience and translated it into something for the greater good of others. And particularly men. I mean, yesterday was an event for Movember, but your focus is on couples and sometimes the couples get left behind. That They're the person who's waiting in the wings. So I, I really love the fact that you and your wife have drawn together your relevant skills and passions and just all compliments to you and your wife and good luck with everything and I can't wait to come along with my husband to the Clear Mind Studio. Mm, me too. Thanks very much guys. Thank you. Thank you. I'm gonna tell you about a boy who lives inside me He's been there all of my life Hi, this is Dr Joe. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We're getting so many emails, so many questions and so much feedback. And Melissa and I are absolutely thrilled about this. What we'd really love you to do, though, is to share our podcast with anyone you think might benefit, including any man in your life. Simply download using your favourite podcast app or subscribe to the penisproject.org. You'll get a weekly email and new releases. And this helps our podcast to get more people and if you write a review and subscribe as well, well, we'll get known more widely across the globe. Meanwhile, let's keep the conversation going. Just a mystery to me. I've got a boy of my own now. It fills me with pride to see him growing so fast into a man.